couple of years ago when I was finishing my MBA, I encountered a class for which I was not prepared for. And I don't remember, frankly, what the class actually was. It had something to do with math, and uh, I probably blocked it from my memory. But having not done organized math in about 20 years, it was a bit challenging for me. Math is not my strong suit. Fractions and algebra and geometry, that's not my thing. Like, I understand the principles of, you know, the algebra, you got to move the y or the x. For some reason, when it comes time to move in the x or the y over, it just never works. Um, a few years ago, I was substitute teaching for like a middle school, like basic math class. And I was like, you know, I'm going to be a good substitute teacher. I'm going to explain how to do the problem on the board so it's not just organized babysitting, right? So I get up there with a class of 30 kids and I'm doing it on the board. And I had worked it out. I'd worked out how to solve the problem on my planning period. And I get up there halfway through and I just was like, stuck. So math is not my thing. And even like even basic things like greater than and less than signs get me confused. Now, I think Reverend Sandy can attest to this. We do not do math in seminary. And <laughs> I went to Bible college where I double majored in youth ministry and biblical studies. So not a lot of math there either. So this morning I need your help. So greater than and less than signs. So help me out. If you think the the stained glass is greater than the jury box, help me out. How does that work? Okay. Okay, good. I gotta unbutton my suit here so I can do it. So now we've established that, we're gonna do a little basic math quiz. Set you up here. So we're talking about guilt today, and Reverend Sandy, I think, set me up for this because she knows I grew up. Baptists, and Baptists are good at guilt. Some of my Catholic friends, though, have told me that Catholics do guilt better. <laughs> I don't know if we have any former Baptists in here. I think we have some former Catholics. So I need you to help me using the correct math symbols. Which is greater, Baptist guilt or Catholic guilt? And we'll have... I feel like stained glass represents Catholicism better, and jury box I feel like encapsulates Baptist well. <laughs> so I need you to help me. Like, so okay, so greater than I'm gonna say Baptist guilt is greater. Who else? What do you think? Okay. <laughs> I see a real not big participation by some of you. <laughs> I need some more liveliness. Very good. Very good. Thank you for your participation. <laughs> so this is the last week of our Break Free Sermon Series, and today we're talking about breaking free from guilt. Again, guilt is something I'm well acquainted with from my Baptist upbringing, and I can't speak to how Catholics do guilt, but when it comes to guilt, what comes to mind for me is what's called altar calls. I'm not sure you've ever heard of these, but they're basically in church at the end of a preacher's message. The speaker will encourage the listener to come forward, to walk to the front and make some kind of commitment of faith, either by praying alone or speaking with the pastor. A couple of weeks ago, Reverend Sandy shared a story about church camp. And alas, 
I have a story to share about church camp. I do want to tell you, I think Reverend Sandy would agree, church camp is a good thing. Just we sometimes have not great experiences. Uh, but some are better than others. Years ago, when I was in middle school, junior high back then, right, I went to a fundamentalist Baptist youth camp in so- somewhere in southern Colorado. And again, I was young, very impressionable, trying to figure out my way in life. And this was a very conservative camp. Like, a lot of the girls wore dresses and skirts. Um, fraternizing with the opposite sex was strongly discouraged. And there was a lot, a lot of preaching and teaching. I think we had morning devotionals, midday Bible lessons, and then a big end-of-the-evening chapel service. And there was, that was quite the ordeal. The year that I remember, they had brought in a speaker who was a prison chaplain. And let me tell you, he was not shy about sharing all his prison horror stories to try to, like, you know, scare us kids straight. And, and more, he was a loud and fiery theme. Fiery preacher, you know, the classic kind of Bible thumper, if you can, if I can say so much. And after his long and fiery sermons, he'd bring up a piano player and uh, he'd direct them to start playing hymns. Now, mind you, not just any hymns, hymns of invitation. Just as I am, have thine own way, Lord, I surrender all. I imagine you can get the themes of these hymns just from listening to the titles. So the piano would start playing, and some of us would be singing, and he'd be shouting, Come forward! Get right with God! Make a decision for Christ today! Don't wait! Now is the time! But this guy, if I remember, you know, 20, 30 years ago, 30 years ago, right? He was either convinced we're all wicked scoundrels or he just wanted to see more people coming forward. So he wasn't just satisfied with a few respondents that trickled forward. And instead, while one hymn played through, he'd say, play another verse. And the piano player would either keep going or they'd start up a whole nother song. And he would keep bellowing, come forward and get right with God. Make a decision for Christ today. Don't let this moment pass you by. I think it was the second to last night. I could not take it anymore. I relented and I came forward overwhelmed by guilt that he'd been laying on me. Soon I was shuttled into this room with some other campers and a camp counselor with some similarly guilt-ridden teens. So overwhelmed by it all I was that I was physically shaking, shivering from so much guilt. I felt so guilty, in fact, but by the time it came around for me to say what I felt guilty about, I felt too guilty to even say what I felt guilty about. And I gave this kind of half-hearted, I need to read the Bible and pray more. That's a good standard teen Baptist response. I felt too guilty to even admit what I felt guilty about. The camp counselor led us all in prayer. We took turns praying ourselves, and that was it. If you've ever suffered through, I can say that I'm a former Baptist. If you've ever suffered through an old-fashioned altar call, let me tell you, it is quite the experience. 
And in the Baptist tradition I grew up in, it was a staple of nearly every service. I feel like we should today just have Reverend Sandy and I should come forward and Sonia should play us a hymn of invitation to bring back some memories. The altar call, again as it's commonly called, has its roots in an 18th century revivalist preacher named Charles Finney. So Finney was not a Calvinist, if you've heard that term, meaning he thought that everyone could make a decision to follow Christ out of their own free will. And he was going to do everything in his power to help you get to that decision to follow Jesus. He is known for what was called an anxious bench, a place at the front of the church or, you know, if it was a tent meeting, the front of where they're having their service, where he'd invite those to come forward who were struggling to decide what they wanted to do. Now, in some circles, Finney is known as the father of old revivalism, and his legacy is, has inspired other well-known evangelists, if you've heard the names Billy Sunday, D.L. Moody, Billy Graham, many of whom have practiced his old tactics and methods. What's even more interesting about Finney, according to one article I read, is that he structured his sermons like a lawyer's argument. In short, he was the prosecuting attorney, and he was trying to convince the listener of their own guilt. Micah, excuse me, Charles Finney's methods are not so unlike, were not so unlike another lesser known character, that of the Old Testament prophet Micah. Micah was one of the four big prophets of 8th century Israel, Amos, Hosea, Isaiah, and Micah. And Micah, like these three other prophets, weren't so much well-known for predicting the future, but rather for acting as the conscious, conscience, can't say that word, of the people. Basically, Micah and these others would say, hey, folks, we are not living up to what we have committed to. We're not following the ways of God the way we said we would. And what's especially interesting to me about the verses that Reverend Sandy read is that Micah is acting like a lawyer. He's presenting God's case against the people, their guilt. Hear what the Lord says, he writes. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, for the Lord has a controversy with his people, and he will contend with Israel. He's laying on the guilt, putting it on real thick. According to scholars, Micah understands his task to be a preacher of truth, to expose injustice and inequality. And Micah wanted the people to know religious acts would not be enough to assuage their guilt. No matter how many worshipful acts they did, no matter how many times they went to church, no matter how many songs they sang in worship, it wasn't enough. And Micah gives a hyperbolic amount. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Said in our own context, will God be pleased with constant singing of worship or weekly church attendance? Even if I came to church every week, even if I sang countless songs of praise, no, the guilt still remains. 
To Micah, ethical behavior mattered more than sacrificial rites. Doing the right thing mattered more than doing churchy stuff. By and large, we don't like guilt. Some have gone so far today even to expel anything that might actually bring on feelings of guilt. And I understand guilt is kind of like a power tool. In the wrong hands or the untrained, it can be very dangerous. Yesterday I was working on my deck using a miter saw and a table saw. And let me tell you, got first got all five digits still. Because I understand it's a power tool. It can be dangerous. So can guilt in the wrong hands or the untrained be very dangerous. But I believe that guilt isn't always a bad thing and can be at times useful. Brene Brown writes that guilt can be adaptive and helpful. Guilt acts like a mirror to hold up our own actions in comparison to our own self-confessed ethics, morals, and values. Guilt calls us to take action. For Micah, he was compelling his listeners to live up to the values to which they confessed. He was guilting those in his time, the rich, the powerful, the elite, that their actions were not right. And he was calling them, though, not just to stay in their guilt, but to do justice, love mercy, to walk humbly. Those words we sing nearly every week. Again, very familiar to us. Micah wanted his listeners not just to feel guilty, but to do right. To break free from their feelings of guilt by doing right, by living according to the commitments they had made. If you're like me, a person with some measure of privilege in America, perhaps because of the color of your skin, your gender or sexuality, your financial status, perhaps like me, you felt some measure of guilt over the past number of years. As African Americans have pleaded for Black Lives Matter, as the LGBTQ community have cried for equality, as those who are of low income have begged for economic inequality, Perhaps, like me, you have felt some measure of guilt. And I myself have wondered, am I unknowingly supporting systems that oppress, that exploit, that cast aside? Now, I have been forced, because of my feelings of guilt, to examine whether my own actions and attitudes, to determine whether, whether if what I'm saying and doing is consistent with what I say I believe. If you find yourself in the midst of feeling blame or fault or responsibility, Micah clearly lays out the path forward, how we can break free from guilt. And as I see it, we've got basically three options we can do when it comes to dealing with our guilt. We can, as Brene Brown talks about it, we can internalize our guilt, assuming that we're just a bad person and capable of doing good. We can, like some are suggesting in current day, pretend it doesn't exist, it's all a lie, nothing is wrong. Or we can, like Micah advises, acknowledge our own shortcomings, break free, move forward, doing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly. Which do you think 
is the most helpful? Which do you think is the most faithful? What do you think is most in accordance with God's ways? He has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Let us pray. God, the case has been made before us. Like the people of Israel, we know that at times we are not faithful to the words that you ask of us. God, help us to live out our faith, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly. May these be our words and our actions. Amen.